Hello and welcome to episode 51 of Sensational She Geek Live from Yancey Street. This episode will be a fairly standard issue episode, starting off with the news, uh, which will be including some casting news, some announcements about some future projects, as well as some release dates. Normally, after we do the news, I would have a weekly comic book pick list. This week's comic book picks would have been from the 1st and 2nd of February. However, it's been a long week and I am behind on my reading. Uh, and so I have not actually finished more than one or two comics. And I don't feel like just talking about one or two comics. I kind of would rather do the whole bunch. So I will cover all of those comics that I uh, will end up discussing. We will discuss on next week's episode. However, after that, we will go into the regular weekly pick list. Again, a good deal of indie number ones that I'm very excited for, including uh, Brian Azzarello and Maria LaVey's Faithless 3. It is the third volume of their stellar fantasy goth gore. I honestly don't even know what to say about it, but it's great and I'm excited as hell that it's back. And of course, we will also be discussing on this episode, The Book of Boba Fett, Episode 6. It is the penultimate episode titled, From the Desert Comes a Stranger. And we will discuss that stranger in depth. Um, and finally, for this week's episode, we have the 2022 Free Comic Book Day lineup. And if you're wondering, what is Free Comic Book Day? Well, you'll just have to wait and find out because I will talk all about what Free Comic Book Day is and some of the things that you can get for free that day and when that day is. So that'll all be coming up during the episode. Before we go all of that, I will go over all of my socials first. You can find me on Instagram at Anna with the comics because my name is Anna and I have the comics on Twitter. I am Savage She Geek and I have a website which is sensationalshegeek.weebly.com. And it has on the website, you can find on the front page, highlights about the characters Madeline Pryor, who is the Goblin Queen, Ileana Ro <laughs> Rasputin, who is Magic, and Clea, who is the new Sorcerer Supreme at Marvel Comics. Um, all of those characters, well, those three characters, have very relevant things coming up in either the MCU and or Marvel Comics. So you will definitely want to check those out, including their entire character histories which i have up on my site as well everything you want to know about those characters i pretty much got it covered and if you don't know if i don't have it up there you can just ask and i will be happy to just tell you uh, also on my site i have my podcast pod notes um which are just the the stuff that i the notes that i take for each podcast it's pretty self-explanatory i think but um i put those on the website so you can access those for reading the podcast instead of listening to them and so that anybody who is hearing impaired can still keep up with the events of the podcast as well um you can also find links to everywhere that you can listen to the podcast which is most podcast hosting apps including YouTube, where I also post action figure review videos. My YouTube is, again, Sensational She Geek. It's all pretty much easy to find under Sensational She Geek. And my most recent upload on YouTube was the unboxing and review of the Hasbro Marvel Legends binary figure, which is set to be a Walgreens exclusive here in the U.S. She hasn't really started appearing in stores at all yet so for my birthday my husband ordered me a one from the uk which is not exclusive it's the same figure it just doesn't have the walgreens sticker on the box so i have got that up if you want to check that out i also have um and i go over that in the video a little bit the first appearance of the character as binary um and a few other really cool key carol danvers issues um, but her first appearance as binary in case you want to know is uncanny x-men 164. finally I do have a podcast Patreon. Again, it is just Sensational She Geek that is set up for donations to support the podcast. Anything that does get donated to the podcast is going to go to uh, keeping the fees for Podbean, Podbean um, and hopefully transitioning the Weebly site into a .com, which would be really excellent. To, it's a goal that I have this year. Um, and it's not something that I say if you're going to listen to this you have to donate it's it's all very optional no one's ever going to track you down for this um i also have uh, ko-fi cash up venmo and paypal all linked in a link tree there which is at the bottom of each episode's description like i said we are starting off as usual with the news so the things that we're going to talk about we have the obi-wan show release date 
the Madam Web casting news, which is news, it is not rumors. We have some casting news for Titans season four. And finally, um, a bit of announcement about an upcoming Barbarella project and who she is and why that's at all relevant to this podcast. For the Obi-Wan show release date, now this is not something that is necessarily confirmed, but if it talks like a pig, if it smells like a pig, if it eats like a pig, it's a pig. I hope you understand that was supposed to be a metaphor based on everything is pointing to this date being legitimate. Um, what happened to give us this date is that the Disney, a Disney Plus executive called Brandon San Giovanni, I don't know if he's an important person among Disney executives, particularly, not a clue, but he put out a tweet a few days ago that said, quote, our very own Obi-Wan will, I mean, it's supposed to be will, but obviously didn't put the L's on there, be saying hello there on Disney Plus, May 2022. Now, granted, there are some people who are saying that he's referring to Marvel's Obi-Wan comic, which yes, there is an Obi-Wan comic starting in May. How funny is that? It's starting on May the 4th. Also, he clearly said Disney Plus, so it's not talking about the comic. Um, May the 4th is when the comic is getting released. It's a Wednesday. Comics come out on Wednesdays. What else comes out on Wednesdays? Disney Plus shows. Um, I don't, I mean, I think at this point, it's pretty much guaranteed it's going to come out on May the 4th. I think we would all be pretty, pretty aghast if it was not. Uh, the, the tweet says Disney Plus, May 2022. His series comes out. Uh, May the 4th, 2022, on a Wednesday, which is when Disney Plus series are dropped. So, I mean, it's all pointing in that direction. Um, we do have a fair amount of information about the cast of this show. Not necessarily the characters. It's two different things there. Um, but if you were to pull this up on Google, it's actually pretty funny. I recommend you do. <laughs> because you get the list of the cast, right? And you get some familiar faces. Obviously, Hayden Christensen playing Darth Vader. Ewan McGregor. McGregor. <laughs> Ewan McGregor playing Obi-Wan Kenobi. Joel Edgerton playing Owen Lars. And Bonnie Peace Pierce playing Beru Lars. But then you get a whole bunch of other names and with their photos here. They just have question marks under the character. Usually they just don't put... A, a name like you can see there's a character an actress here Maya Erskine who doesn't have any kind of name or anything but under all these other actors and one two actresses three actresses um they're just question marks I've never seen that before on Google it is so funny to me but what we have for the questionable <laughs> um we know that they're this confirmed they're all going to be in it, I'm pretty sure but uh we just don't have a damn clue who they're playing Kumail Nanjiani who you may know from many things, but uh, Eternals being most recent. Um, big fan. Um, let's see, Indira Varma, who, again, I think she's excellent. And she you may have seen, you may have recognized her from Game of Thrones. She was, she played Alaria Sand on Game of Thrones. Unannounced character, we have Ice Cube. That's one I don't think I've actually heard confirmed, but apparently Ice Cube, uh, Rupert Friend, question mark, Moses Ingram is one of the female characters, uh, along with Indira and Simone Kessel, and then this guy, Benny Safdie, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure that's not how you say it, but that's phonetically how you would, um, <laughs> really excellent cast here, I mean, between Kumail and Indira and... I mean, Ice Cube, questionable, but curious. I'm quite curious. This makes me very interested. Um, is it going to be like like Danny Trejo, the um, the trainer in, in Book of Boba Fett a few episodes ago, where it's just kind of like a one-episode cameo that he shows up? Or is he going to be a recurring character on Obi-Wan Kenobi? I don't know. Um, one person who we know will be showing up is Asajj Ventress, very, very excited to see that. Um, and there is a fair amount of speculation that Indira Varma could even be playing Asajj Ventress. And now that I have pulled up actually another page, I see that it is not Ice Cube in this. <laughs> Eating my words. It is Ice Cube's son. How odd that when you Google it, it says Ice Cube, but it's actually O'Shea Jackson Jr., his son, <laughs> who is in the show. I feel like maybe Google is trying to make me sound racist. <laughs> Google, please. Please. 
Um, but in any case, this sounds to me like, I mean, it's going to be, it's, it has to be May the 4th. Watch them make me eat my words again. While we're on the topic of Asajj Ventress, you see how I made that transition very poorly? Thank you, thank you. Um, in the Ahsoka Tanu show, we know Hayden Christensen's going to be showing up there as Darth Vader, potentially a flashback Anakin as well. It's going to rip our hearts out. I can't wait. Probably a little bit more than the Obi-Wan Kenobi scenes will rip our hearts out. Um, but we know that we have a Sabine Wren coming, right? Um, we know that we obviously have Ahsoka Tano already, Rosario Dawson. Um, I, a couple, uh, last week, a few weeks ago, maybe, uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead was actually announced to being joining the Ahsoka show as well. And that kind of gave a lot of people some tingly rumor feelings of, is she going to be a Saj Ventress? Now, if we're talking between um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead and Indira Varma, I kind of like Indira Varma better. Looking at their faces, I feel like she has more of the Asajj Ventress look to her. Uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, no doubt, could do the action of it. Mandira Varma, of course, could as well. By the way, if you have not seen the movie Kate on Netflix, it surprised me. I thought it was going to be very, I mean, predictable, but I, it was somewhat predictable, but very enjoyable. Um, and it had a few things that I did not expect it to have based on the summary that Netflix gives you. But in any case, Mary Elizabeth Winstead as Asajj Ventress or Indira Varma as Asajj Ventress on Obi-Wan Kenobi. Let me know what you think. Moving on to our next bit of news here. Uh, it was rumored early in the week that she was in talks for this part, and now it is official as of, I believe, today. We have an official Madame Webb actress. She has been cast as Dakota Johnson. Um, I gotta find a different movie. What is something else that she's been in? Let's see, she was in How to Be Single, The Social Network, The Peanut Butter Falcon, which I heard was fantastic. Uh, 21, she was in 21 Jump Street. I don't remember that. She was in The High Note. Um, she was in Call Me By Your Name, whatever that is, honestly. Uh, apparently she was in the movie Beastly. The book was better. She was in something called Suspira and Our Friend, uh, Bad Times at the El Royale, and yes, I suppose Fifty Shades of Grey trying to do her a favor by not listing that first as everybody else is on the internet um she yes she was in talks it was announced as being in talks earlier i guess last late last week and it was confirmed this morning on her instagram page huzzah um in case you were out of the loop sony is still planning on making a madam webb solo movie for some reason <laughs> um th there's a bit of People are wondering why, but she does tie well into, like, very, very well into Spider-Verse stuff, obviously. Um, that's what I'm thinking, is that they're just going to try and spin off all the Spider-Verse stuff with maybe her at the center. Um, but in case you want to know about the character, there have been two Madame Webs. The first, she appeared in Amazing Spider-Man number 210 by the late and great Denny O'Neill with art by the legendary John Romita Jr. in 1980. She was, this original version, was an elderly woman called Cassandra Webb who had myasthenia gravis, which is an IRL uh, neuro, neuromuscular disease, and it presented in Webb, Cassandra Webb, as an eye condition that kept her from being able to see, as well as, uh, she, I guess she needed, like, a complicated life support system, which whenever you see a picture of this version of her, you'll see behind her, because it's designed to look like a spider's web, basically. Uh, in the comics, she doesn't really do too much actively herself because of her condition. She just kind of chills in her chair, but she is of use and she is Madame Webb, obviously, uh, because of her mutant abilities of precognition and clairvoyance. However, Cassandra Webb um, is killed by Craven, of kind of. It's a co very complicated thing. Um, then we have Julia Carpenter, who actually becomes the second Madame Webb in that arc when Cassandra is dying. She transfers her powers to her and I guess her blindness for some reason because she's a bitch. <laughs> Sorry, that's out of context. Um... Uh, she transfers that her powers to her <laughs> before her own death happens, and that is in an Amazing Spider-Man 637 by Joe Kelly. Um, she was 
Julia Carpenter was first in the comics as the second Spider-Man, so oh my god, Spider-Woman, gaining that mantle in 1984's Secret Wars number seven. Remember, there have been three Secret Wars, technically. Secret Wars, Secret Wars 2, and then the Hickman Secret Wars. Uh, to me, I think that Carpenter is the obvious choice for who they're planning on having um, Johnson, Dakota Johnson play. Uh, the only other character who I could think would potentially be pulled into this role or tied into it somehow because you know how these studios love to take a few different aspects of a couple different characters and tie them all into one. Um, the only one I could think of being added to that is the fourth Spider-Woman, who is Charlotte Witter and is also happens to be the original Madame Webb, Cassandra Webb's granddaughter. And in case you wanted to know, she does first appear in Amazing Spider-Man number five, which is a different run uh, in 1999 now a madam web movie which is what apparently we are getting would probably tie in most likely to this kind of spider-verse they seem to be setting up because various various versions of the character uh the two that we have have been tied into they have ties with pretty much all all spider characters you have craven who remember is getting his own sony movie with aaron taylor johnson odd choice but go figure uh morbius who again coming out in his own movie venom once again of course that's obvious uh spider woman now spider woman the original jessica true spider woman um well every version of spider woman really has ties to madame webb but um olivia wilde what i'm trying to say here is olivia wilde is still in charge of a female-led sony spider movie um that does not seem to be the same as this madame web project apparently there's a two separate entities so there's going to be this madame web project and then there's going to be this olivia wilde project which is very strongly rumored to be spider woman whichever spider woman that may be okay so um another thing that Madame Webb has ties to various versions, the, the, the two versions of her have ties to, and hopefully this is going to be an important point, is the Inheritors. Um, the Inheritors being this supremely evil family that, long story short, feeds off of spider totems. And I think I've mentioned spider totems on this podcast before. When you say spider totems, it's not like Black Widow. Um... She has a spider name, yes, but she's not a spider totem. When we say spider totems, we're talking about people who have, like, the spider powers, like Spider-Gwen and Miles Morales and Silk and, of course, Peter Parker. Those are spider totems. Black Widow, nothing to do with that. Um, but anyway, that's, that's like, the main thing with the Inheritors. And there was the original Spider-Verse event. Gosh, I'm not sure what year that was now, but um, the original one was when we first see this whole inheritor thing going down and eating of the spiders. And that's why they have to go through the spider verse and say, it, it's, you get it. Um, but that's kind of what fans have been speculating is the long game that Sony's trying to put together for this whole weird, wacky spider verse thing. They're trying to fumbling, fumbling to put together here. Hopefully they, they kind of smooth it out. Um, but as for what I've seen, it seems to be a lot of rumors and a lot of excitement and not actually a whole lot going on. Um, but regardless, this casting being official does prove that they are still working on something. So hopefully we'll get some more news soon. Okay, sidebar, my husband just texted me about the whole Mary's Elizabeth Winstead or Indira Varma as Ventress. His, he just said, Mary Elizabeth Winstead could be playing Duchess Satine. Ooh, I think that's a good one. I think Ven I think Ventress is going to be played by Indira Varma and Mary Elizabeth Winstead is playing Duchess Satine. Oh, I want to see them make out. Sorry. Back on track. Um, <laughs> Titan season forecasting. Uh, I don't honestly know much about these characters and I genuinely don't care enough to look into them because I am not a Mash of Titans fan, but I wanted to mention this because we will be going over season four of Titans just like I did with season three. It'll be episodic as they come out uh, through the season, whenever that's going to be. I don't think it's going to be until uh, early next year, probably, if I was to guess. But we do have three characters who have been cast for villains, apparently, in Titans Season 4. And that is uh, Joseph Morgan, who you may know from the Vampire Diaries, has been cast as Brother Blood. Kind of funny. 
uh, Franca Potente, I'm sorry I butchered your name, has been cast as Mother Mayhem and Lisa Ambalavanar, also butchered that, i terribly sorry, has been cast as the character of Jinx. Um, I'm pretty excited for season four of Titans, regardless of the fact that I don't particularly know or care who these characters are. Uh, Titans mythos is not really what I am really well versed in for comics. Um, they're fine, but the show is really entertaining, so that's why I keep up with it, and we will discuss it more as those episodes are coming out. For my last bit of news here is an exciting sci-fi throwback, getting her own new movies from Columbia Pictures, and that is the good, the classic, Barbarella. Um, as I say that name, I can just feel the shudders of uncertainty from listeners because I'm sure you've heard all kinds of things about good old Barbarella. Um, but let's start from the top here, and the news is specifically that Columbia Pictures has optioned Barbarella for new movies. That is about it. There is no word yet on anybody who's involved. We just know that it is among their plans. And that's good enough for me to make the news. Barbarella, for those of you who do not know or are unsure, is a classic sci-fi character created for comics, well, French comics, in the 1960s by creator Jean-Claude Forrest. I have no idea if you pronounce it Forrest or Foray or something like that, um, but I'm going to say Forrest because my brain wants me to. Um, he is, of course, French. Barbarella first appeared in V Magazine in the spring of 1962, and in 1964, creator Eric Losfeld published the strips as a standalone book titled Barbarella. I did talk about Snowpiercer a few episodes ago, possibly last episode, um, and how those graphic novels they're based off of um, are so French. <laughs> well, Barbarella falls along those same lines, pretty much, but with a very strong sci-fi backdrop. She is a classic Pulp Fiction almost style retro sci-fi character up there with your Vampirellas, your Deja Thoruses, and your Marias from Metropolis, which is a 1920s era sci-fi movie, and I do recommend it. Um, Barbarella did cause a pretty wide scandal, and to this day kind of does, with her sexuality, uh, and for some reason she ended up becoming known as the first adult comic book which, in my, when you, it, they define that as pornographic comic book, which in my opinion is not at all accurate because A, um, she was definitely not the first because American erotic comics known as the Tijuana Bibles came out long before hers ever did. And B, having looked through this myself, it's a couple of titties and a lady saying that she likes to have the sex. Um, hardly pornographic in I mean, at least, at very least, our modern standards. Um, but for Forrest, the writer, his character, he um, he tried to embody the character with the modern emancipated women movement um, in the sexual, in the era of sexual liberation, he says. Um, and she became, as a result of that, very much associated with the mid-20th century sexual revolution. I could go into the different waves of feminism right now and how those have changed over time and stuff like that, but I think I don't want to bore you, so we'll move along. It's not comic book related, I don't have an excuse. Um, the original Barbarella comic strips were translated into English by Richard Sieber first and published in Evergreen Review number 37 through 39 and Heavy Metal volume 1 number 11 through volume 2 number 3. And those went from the years all of those titles lasted from, um, it spread across 1965 to 1978. So it took over a decade to, to publish all of the comic strips in English. There was a Barbarella film made in 1968 starring Jane Fonda, directed by Roger Vadim. Vadim? Vadim? Uh, there was also a musical based off the film in 2004, which I've never heard of, so it clearly didn't go very far. Um, and there has been a number of TV programs in and out of development. Uh, the latest-ish, latest kind of ended, ran off into, you know, obscurity sometime around 2013. Um, but if you are interested in reading the English version, there was an updated English adaptation made 
uh, by Humanoids Publishing in 2015. They put it out in two sections, and the adaptation was made th from French to English by Kelly Sue DeConnick, of all people. Um, having read parts of it, I can't really say that it's at all an adult comic, minus a couple of titties hanging out here and there. Um... <laughs> It, it has the very it's same very French feel that Snowpiercer has for some of the same reasons. Um, but it's very much pulp fiction, female forward. It has such a vibe of this is my this is my women's liberation revolution. Um, and that's kind of the the vibe that it was put out with. And so you do you do pick up on that a little bit when you're reading even the uh, the most updated adaptations. It's very wordy. But I was 1960s. Everything comics written in the 60s was 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 super wordy. Um, so that just kind of goes with the times. I guess they were just the same in France as they were the US in the day. <laughs> just hornier, maybe. <laughs> Like I said at the beginning, I don't actually have a weekly pick list for you this week. I did read a couple of comics, but I feel like I have not read a lot more, so I need to just wait until I catch up a little bit more and feel more prepared for that before I do that. So we're going to go ahead and jump straight into the comic book poll list. Now I'm going to do this the same way that I've been doing it the past couple of weeks, where I will have the solicitations for the number ones and one shots, and then everything else will just go over the creative team and a little bit of info about the series and where it's at. So starting off last week, we had the Red Sonia Valentine's Day special. This week we have the Vampirella Valentine's Day special. This is written by Dear Bla Kelly and Jonathan Lau with a cover by Sosa Micah, who is a black artist, and I absolutely love her work. Um, I'm pretty sure anybody, most people who saw see it will love it. She very much fits along with the kind of rosebesh peach Romoco styles that is becoming quite popular. What it says about the comic is, Love's hard enough for a human, but a vampire, a super-powered vampire, woof. Join Vampy as she traverses her way through love, hate, and the constant combination of both. Brought to you by a cauldron of clever creators. Draculina number one does kick off this week as well. In the, in the Vampirelli universe, it's by Christopher Priest and Michael St. Maria. I'm sorry, I think that's what that is. San, San Maria? Sorry. This is from Dynamite, as all the Vampirelli universe things are. It has an extremely long solicitation, so I'm not going to read all of it. Um, but the daughter of Lilith, um, of course, the sister of Dracula. Oh my gosh, Vampirella, not Dracula, uh, is Draculina. Um, she's like, it's this whole complicated thing where Lilith wanted a daughter and ended up making two. But yeah, um, I, I'm going to check it out because I'm curious. I know Christopher Priest, I really liked his Vampirella series, so... We'll try this one out, see what I think. Faithless number, th Faithless 3, number 1, is the first issue of the third volume of Brian Azzarillo and Maria LaVey's Faithless. I am such a fan. Um, it's from Boom Studios. It will be the last arc of the story. What it says in the solicitation is that it's an erotic thriller masterpiece, and I feel like that hits it on the nose. And it also has the rest of the solicit here. It says, Nine months after her mysterious disappearance, Faith suddenly drops back onto the map. While the art world debates whether her disappearance was a piece of performance art or just all stuff or just a publicity stunt, Faith retreats to Louis's studio to recover from her journey into the unknown. But Ginny begins to realize that something is very much amiss with Faith. Faith. Where was she for nine months? And why does Faith suddenly seem so obsessed with Ginny's son, Jacob? The acclaimed team of blah 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 and its final act of the erotic thriller masterpiece. It's gonna be great. I'm really excited. Life Zero number one comes from Stefano Vietti and art by Marco Cicchetto, who you will recognize from Marvel's Daredevil. The series comes from a blaze and has a very simple solicitation saying, Where were you when the cloud arrived? Were you the, where were you when the world changed forever? Where were you when people started dying? Sounds like it's a very interesting comic to me, and I will definitely be checking out that number one. We have uh, two Cape comics coming out as number ones this week as well. Uh, the first is from Marvel. It'll be the Secret X-Men number one. This is the first 
um, real series kickoff of the new era of the X-Men stuff. And it's going to be written by Teeny Howard with art by Francesco Mobili. What it says about this series. Shh, it's the X-Men. When the Shi'ar Empire faces an unexpected threat, they must call upon the X-Men. Team co-captains Sunspot and Cannonball must lead Marrow, Temper, Forge, Banshee, Strong Guy, Armor, and Boom Boom on a secret mission to save Empress Xandra. Wait, aren't those the- those aren't the X-Men? Aren't those the mutants who lost the election? Yes, they are. There was that whole X-Men election thing that was just an absolute bomb among the fans. <laughs> um, and this is, I guess, what they're giving people to try and calm down about it a year plus later. <laughs> it's fine. I'll, I'll check it out. I like Teeny Howard. Strange Love Adventures number one is DC's Valentine's Day comic of the year. I have the list of writers, but unfortunately not the artists for some reason. Now we got Rex Ogle, Devin Grayson, Jackson, Jackson Lansing, Colin Kelly, Rich Duke, Rom V, Shay Grayson, Stephanie Phillips, and Andrew Marino. The stories will be called Lightning in a Bottle, The Grod Couple, Love of Country, Ritual of Love, In the Name of Love, Service, Romance on Dinosaur Island, and Dinner for Two. And that's it for the number ones for this week. Other things coming out, we have Panther number two coming from Ton Snigowski and Jean-Anne Janine Atchison with Igor Lima. This one is another one uh, straight out of the Vampirella universe at Dynamite. Um, not, it's not a Christopher Priest one, but it is spinning out of that whole world that he set up with his Vampirella series. Daisy number three or three of five is by Colin Lorimer. It's a single creator book, which I adore when that I, I come across those. It's coming from Dark Horse, and this one is a bit spooky, a bit biblical, um, and just completely interesting to me. It's a great little mystery of, of cults and creepiness. Devil's Reign number four of six comes from Chip Zartsky and Marco Cicchetto over at Marvel. Where I remind you now, the last issue ended possibly with the death of Foggy Nelson. I'm gonna doubt it, though. Batman Catwoman number 10 of 12 comes out this week with Tom King on writing and Clayman back on interiors. Thank the Lord. And finally, New Mutants number 24 by Vita Ayala with guest artist Danilo Bayruth. Uh, the next issue will be starting in the new era for magic, apparently, um, and this is a new status quo, so you can jump on here and see that transition happen into the next issue. Now let's talk Book of Boba Fett, Episode 6, the penultimate chapter in this first season, titled From the Desert Comes a Stranger. Now, based on the title and how the episode starts, we all kind of think the Strange from the Desert being referenced in the episode title is Cobb Vanth being a stranger to Boba, you know. Uh, but in the end, it turns out to be, spoiler alert, Cad Bane, uh, which we'll get to at the end of this little talk. So uh, we're going to cover this more or less, more or less in order of how it happened. So we start the episode with, I remember Boba in my notes, oh my god, with Mando <laughs> going to visit Cobb Vanth, who is again played by Timothy Oliphant. He is the sheriff from Mos Pelgo, or as he corrects Mando right now, it is now known as Freetown, which is taken straight from the Aftermath trilogy of Star Wars books, fun fact. We first met Cobb Vanth in the second season of Mandalorian when the camera pans up to the sheriff to reveal him wearing very hilariously misfitting fat armor. Now that he does not have that anymore, Mando asks how things are going, and he jokes he's being more careful now that he doesn't have that Beskar armor. It is noteworthy that we actually meet the new deputy before him, He's some young hotshot guy who thinks he runs the town and can do or say whatever he pleases. As he finds out very predictably at the end of the episode, that just is not true in Star Wars. Din takes some time to plea for aid when Boba's upcoming war with the Pikes, a group that we know Freetown is somewhat plagued by visits from. They have a bit of an interest in this battle, but the people of the town just wish to keep to themselves, and Mando heads off alone to go find Grogu, and find him he does. There was a lot to really love about the sequences on the Jedi training planet, which is as yet unnamed, so I will do my best here to hit them all. It is a lush green planet. In my mind, it is a bit more practical version of, uh, and paradise-like version of Master Yoda's chosen planet of Dagobah. 
Sunny skies shining down on reeds and bamboos waving in the breeze. Gentle creeks and rivers flowing through the area, etc., etc. It's lovely. Uh, the first thing that we see, though, is R2-D2. He comes out when Boba lands. Boba, oh my god. He comes out when Mando lands to show him the way. And he asks, of course, I'm here to see Skywalker. And he takes Mando to a clearing where we see a large number of spider-like construction droids. A little bit terrifying, but they were pretty cool too. Lifting big stones into the shape of what we can only guess will be the soon-to-be Jedi training temple. The same one we know Kylo Ren destroys prior to the events of The Force Awakens. This is Luke's future school for Jedi as it is being constructed, and the only one around right now is the droids and R2, who promptly shuts down once they're in the clearing. The droids make Din a little bamboo bench to wait on because they are polite. He is finally greeted by Ahsoka Tano. He and Ahsoka have already met, of course, in season two of The Mandalorian when he goes to her in the hopes of pawning off Rogu on her, more or less. But she declines to do take on his training, instead getting them in touch with Luke by the end of the season, who then takes on Groku in the season two finale. We are still getting a solo live action show for Ahsoka as well. I feel like I gotta mention that here. I'm guessing it's gonna be spinning out of the events that we've seen her... Um, in on these two shows at this point she says that she is here because she is an old friend of the family and a truer statement may not exist in the entire star wars universe and that of course all pulls from both the clone wars and star wars rebels however when mando expresses his desire to her to see grogu and give him his little beskar gift she suggests this is not a good idea that seeing Din would just make it harder for Grogo to do what he needs here. After seeing him up on the hill with Luke, even Din has to agree with her. Under a tree by a creek, a young Luke Skywalker, whose CGI is fantastically improved, <laughs> meditates with his student Grogu. He hasn't changed much since the last time we saw him, Grogu that is, more or less confirming it has not been very long. We can tell he's trying his hardest to meditate like his teacher, but he does get distracted when his favorite snack hops by, those lovely <laughs> one-eyed frogs. And when Luke catches him trying to Jedi lift it into his mouth, which he puts an end to, and then he realizes he can actually use this as an incentive for Grogu to learn the Force, you see, you can use it to lift many frogs. It might lack the pizzazz of a levitating X-Wing, but knowing your audience is a very important part of teaching. Luke also tries to release some of Grogu's blocked memories, and we see a scene of Anakin Skywalker's troop squad coming to the Jedi school on Coruscant and slaughtering the Jedi who try to protect the children after Order 66. Still one of the few scenes that absolutely rips my heart out in uh, Revenge of the Sith. Oof, that's a, it's a hard one. <laughs> It does the scene, the sequence we see here, it, it doesn't answer much about Grogu, but it does confirm that he was on Coruscant and that he'd been trained to a certain point before. Other questions that it does bring up, though, is who is it that rescues him? It looks like he's going to be taken by soldiers here. Did they take him? Did Was he an exception to the killing the Jedi thing? What is it that happened? How did he get to where we are now? Where did he come from? Who are his parents? How was he found to be a Jedi? Are all of his people Jedi? I could go on. <laughs> Clearly, I could go on. So, um, but in any case, so we see we see a little bit of his past. We, we know that he's learned some more. Uh, he's learned some in the past and that this is all just kind of him learning to remember what he's already learned. And thus begins possibly the best training sequence I have ever seen, only made better by the echoes of Luke's own training, of Luke's own training from Master Yoda on Dagobah. He starts by teaching Grogu how to force jump, which is just as adorable as it sounds. And when we get to see Luke, Luke carrying Grogu in the same backpack that he carried Yoda in back on Dagobah, doing the same flips as well, which is pretty fun. Grogu gets better too, does his own flips, uh, and they are so delightfully Star Wars. So obviously a puppet being thrown in the air and spun at the apex, but it is a delightful simplicity that again resonates so strongly with the original movies. Unfortunately, Grogu does know when Mando leaves, seeing a mysterious ship take off and feeling his presence, no doubt. The emotion in that little tiny sequence of just the little CGI kid face. I guess he's not CGI, is he? The little robot kid face. The emotion is 
palpable, which makes it even worse when Luke offers the Beskar gift to Grogu, a tiny chainmail tunic, and can I note just for a second that she didn't put legs on the tunic? She just put a little, it's just a tunic, just a long tunic, like you already wear, you don't need pants. <laughs> uh, but Luke, <clears throat> Luke looks at him and tells him that he has to make a choice. You can have the tunic and go be with Mando, or you can take Master Yoda's old lightsaber, blah, 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 and be a Jedi. Wow, Luke. Wow. Um, talk about manipulation. <laughs> you narcissist, Luke. <laughs> okay, so obviously I, I want Grogu to spitefully choose the armor. But here's the thing. We are meant to be mad about this. You may be surprised by that. And it's because George Lucas himself wanted everything after the original series to make it very clear that the Jedi did not have the way. No, I'm not making a joke about the Mandalorians being the way. I just mean the Jedi did not have it right. In other, they, they, they were pretty much just wrong. <laughs> the way that they hold so firmly to their ideals without budging, without bring, letting in any humanity, Things to them have to be black and white, yes or no, do or do not, you know? Emotions are withheld, companionship is frowned upon, the basic things of social aspects that we as beings who are of a certain level of intelligence naturally have are denied from the Jedi. Those rules can never, ever be broken. Um, and, and through the stories of Anakin and Ahsoka over the course of all of the material they appear in, it has become so obvious that the Jedi aren't the universe-saving heroes they were meant to be or that we were originally told they were. They make mistakes after mistake, bad choice after bad choice, and seem to constantly stab themselves in the back on accident. Through sticking so firmly to their own rules, they weaken themselves over time. They ended up not being the leaders they could have been and are themselves the main cause of their own downfall. Ahsoka and Luke do have a few moments to speak to one another about Grogu, which sparks a line from the older Force user, so much like your father, in terms, in reference to him wondering if Grogu is really, has his heart into learning which in turn sparks leagues of tears from Clone Wars fans, knowing that if you've seen the show, you know Ahsoka's relationship with Anakin was really like that of a brother and sister, which makes her betrayal from the Jedi and then his betrayal of the Jedi all that much worse. Neither was there for the other in the end when it really mattered, and the only reason why was again the toxic Jedi. Meanwhile, on Tatooine, a couple of Pike soldiers go to Garza Whip's sanctuary, proving it to be anything but that when they leave and detonate bombs behind them, killing everyone inside. I am peeved by that one. I wanted Garza to be an ongoing character, and it feels a little bit like a lot of it, <laughs> like women in refrigerators. I don't think she needed to die. You could have easily blown up her whole place and had her survive, but whatever. In the end of the episode, Cobb Vanth, back at his place in Freetown, considers Mando's plea again. But then the real stranger arrives from the desert. You see a silhouette, way off in the distance, with the sun beating down on the hot dirt and sand. It's a classic western movie shot, utterly perfectly set up. The figure walks closer, and you can start to make out the shape of a wide-brimmed hat and then some mechanical something around his face, and then the blue skin, and holy shit, you guys, it's him. It is Cad Bane in live action. He is voiced once again by Corey Burton, so they streamlined that from the Clone Wars. Excellent choice, in my opinion. It's really dumb if they didn't do that, honestly. He's here now. His job is to tell Freetown to mind their own business, basically. A message sent kindly from the Pikes. I kid you not, when he finally looked up from under the brim of his hat, again, majorly classic spaghetti western shots here, and you see his amazingly translated orange bubble eyes, I kind of gasped. It looks so good, I would have totally guessed that they would have put an actor in one of those dotted face masks and just CGI all it on, CGI it all on. And thank goodness they didn't, because this was excellent and his teeth oh my gosh they they made spiky teeth look like they actually grew that way not just 
like shaved down or bad fake teeth implants. Genuinely creepy. I dig the shit out of it. I did notice there were a select few on the good old Twitter machine that were somehow triggered by the shape of his face. Genuinely don't recall why it started such a kerfuffle that day, but it just goes to show you can give an audience more than they could ever have imagined and they will still tell you that they did it all wrong. And of course, the good old hotshot deputy comes out all hooting and hollering at him to get out of Freetown and whatnot, basically initiating a shootout that ends in his immediate and ultimate death. Uh, Cobb Vance being shot in the right shoulder and incapacitated, and the town being honestly probably a lot more fired up against the Pikes than they were before. But his warning remains. So interestingly, from the Clone Wars, um, I said Clone Wars, Clone Wars, there was actually an unaired episode where we had seen young Boba Fett. Uh, something we had seen was young Boba Fett uh, running around with Cad Bane. Now there was going to be an episode that was going to have him being trained in bounty hunting by Cad Bane. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, that seems like something we could be seeing here. Um, I really hope we could get references to that in this final episode. If he and Boba know each other, um, I think that would be a really cool interaction to witness. And then to see them try to kill each other too would be pretty sick, honestly. <laughs> One thing this episode did for me was it really cemented the idea that I hadn't really realized before, but Grogu seems to be a key player really key player in Disney's future live-action Star Wars plans. He's been across two shows now, and based on how this episode went, I'm willing to guess he'll wind up forgoing the Jedi way and meeting up with Din at some point, even if it takes a while for him to get to that point. I'm also a little bit surprised that Ahsoka would be so adamant that Grogu be trained in this way and make those hard choices, because she witnessed firsthand how those ways of thinking of the Jedi were bad for not only herself, but for Anakin too, Hence why she herself strayed from the Jedi path as well. I think Grogu might put his little greed foot down and leave, finding someone else to train him without the massive stipulations. There is only one more episode in the season. It's going to be coming out on Wednesday the 9th. I am so excited for that. Stay off the internet to avoid getting it spoiled. Um, so many people have been getting this spoiled because Disney has been posting spoilers on Thursdays. It only comes out on Wednesdays. Give people at least until the weekend to watch this. C'est la vie. Such is life in the modern era of streaming. Now, to wrap up this week's standard episode, I am going to talk about Free Comic Book Day! Uh, Free Comic Book Day, in case you have no idea what I'm talking about, is an annual event that happens on the first Saturday in May that is meant to spark interest in local comic book shops and prepare readers for what is coming out from publishers that year. Sparking interest in comics as well in supporting local comic shops. Uh, this year will be the first time back since 2019. Uh, 2020 had a very strange over the course of July um, free comic book month-ish. Uh, and then last year, I think they did it on a random time sometime around August, I think. And finally, in 2022, we are back with first Saturday in May. Uh, which is May 7th and is my husband's birthday and is also right when Multiverse of Madness is coming out. It's going to be a busy-ass weekend, for sure. Um, but that's what Free Comic Book Day is. And there's details about um, how publishers get involved with it and how the titles get chosen. Um, things like that. It's not super necessary for you to really know. It's just um, publishers basically trying to get interest in comics and comic shops while also sell stuff to you. So uh, I went I went through a list or the list of, I think it's 40 some odd uh, comics that are coming out. And I went through and picked out the ones that I think sound the most interesting or relevant to uh, my interests and therefore hopefully my listeners' interests. And I'll go over some of those now. There are two, there are three Marvel titles coming out for Free Comic Book Day. Uh, the first is Avengers X-Men number one, written by Kieran Gillen with art by Valerio Shitty. Yes, that is his last name. Um, it says it will see the Avengers try desperately to avert a war between the Eternals and the X-Men. Fans will get their first glimpse at a conflict with a prelude story by Kieran Gillen and art by Dustin Weaver. Also coming this, this summer will be the X-Men's second annual Hellfire Gala. Oh, they're doing that annually now? I feel like we just did that. 
And then, let's say, what will they have in store for the Marvel Universe this year? The X-Men, that is. Find out in a story by X-Men scribe Jerry Duggan, who should be Jonathan Hickman, but me, me, me. Um, and it also says that it marks the exciting debut of a new hero that Marvel has big plans for this year. Meet Bloodline by writer Danny Lore and artist Karen Darbol. Their second title is Spider-Man Venom Number 1, written by Al Ewing, Rom V, and Zeb Wells, with art by Brian Hitch and a cover by John Remeter. Remeter? <laughs> Remita. It has, um, let's see, announced last week, Spider-Man is gearing up for a brand new era just in time for his character's 60th anniversary. Fans who get this number one will see the beginning of the major storylines from Zeb Wells, including Tombstone's first steps towards becoming one of Spidey's most terrifying villains. Okay, and their third title for Marvel is Marvel's Voices number one, which is an unique introduction to the groundbreaking and critically acclaimed Marvel's Voices series. It spotlights... Um, Let's see, it says this book will include new and popular Marvel's Voices stories, spotlighting creators and characters from different cultures, communities, and identities. In addition to a brand new story starring Moon Girl by writer Nadia Shamus and artist Luciano Vecchio, it will reprint six different stories from past Marvel's Voices one-shots. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number one comes out on free comic book day from IDW Publishing. It says... The Ninja Turtles have broken out of the lockdown neighborhood of Manhattan known as Mutant Town, but which Ninja Turtles? As all new mutants terrorize New York City, enemies and allies of the TMNT alike prepare for a confrontation greater than any that has come before. The Rat King's diabolical Armageddon game. The TMNT event of 2022 starts here from Tom Waltz, Sophie Campbell, woo, Sophie Campbell, and Kevin Eastman. From Archie Comics, we have Archie's best comic ever, or best Archie comic ever, number zero. A new dawn of Archie is upon us. Archie Andrews has forever been known as an everyman. He's your average teenager, and that's what makes him so well-liked. But it doesn't take a super scientist, superhero, or super spy to see that Archie is anything but average. Welcome to the weird, wonderful world of Archie, where anything and everything can happen to the red-headed, freckle-faced teen in a sleepy little town. There is going to be a Buffy the Vampire Slayer 25-year anniversary coming from Boom Comics with uh, various writers and artists. It says, this free comic book day special in actual yearbook format is a retrospective of your fan favorite character moments from the past two decades. If you're a Buffy fan and a fan of the Buffy comics, this will definitely be something for you to pick out. Hollow number one is a special preview coming from Boom Entertainment by writer Shannon Waters and Brendan Boyer-White and artist Bernice Nell. It's Sleepy Hollow meets queer romance from the co-creator of Lumberjanes. Izzy Crane is new to Sleepy Hollow and already sick of the town's hokey obsession with Washington Irving's The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. She has no time for superstition with a new school, a new home, and a new crush on Vicky Van Tassel, aka the town's teen royalty descended from one of the families featured in the famous old story. When it turns out that the Headless Horseman might be more than just a story, though, it's up to Izzy, Vicky, and the class clown Oscar to uncover a sinister centuries-old plot, and they've only got till Halloween to put a stop to it. This is um, a Teens and Up series, I believe, but it is definitely one that is good for adults as well as younger people. There is a Stranger Things and Resident Alien 2 shot coming out from Dark Horse. Um, which is going to be by Michael Marici and Pius Back. The second story will be by Peter Hogan and Steve Parkhouse. Uh, Dark Horse also has a second free comic book day issue coming out with Avatar, The Last Airbender, and Legend of Korra 2-Shot. This is going to be by Meredith McLaren. Completely, apparently. She is doing both stories and the art in both stories as well. This is going to be uh, one story for Avatar, The Last Airbender, and one story for The Legend of Korra. From Viz Media, uh, we have a, a two shot just like that last one. This is Kaija number eight, or sorry, Kaiju number eight, and, and Saka, Sakamoto Days. I'm sorry, I butchered that. This is going to be by uh, Kaiju number eight, is by ne Neoya Matsumoto, and Sakamoto Days is by Yudu Suzuki. For the first story, it says Kafka wants to clean up Kaiju, but not really. Will a sudden metamorphosis stand in the way of his dream? 
And uh, Sakamoto Day says, Kill some time with a former hitman, Taro Sakamoto. Taro Sakamoto was a legendary hitman considered the greatest of all time. Bad guys feared him. Assassins revered him. Then one day he quit, got married, and had a baby. He's now living the quiet life as the owner of a neighborhood store. But how long can Sakamoto enjoy his days of retirement before his past catches up to him? Kind of makes me think of Way of the House Husband. <laughs> From Titan Comics, we have two coming out for free comic book day. The first is Doctor Who number one, written by Jody Hauser with art by Roberta Ingranata. Um, this is, to me, very interesting because I just watched the 12th season of Doctor Who um, and learned about the traveling Time Lord, as I guess they're calling her, um, who is the... Uh, black, I suppose you would say Time Lord. I don't know if you, that is a term that really fits the space, but there you go. Um, but it's going to be about her, basically. Um, and it's going to lead into a new story arc launching this May. Bloodborne number one is the second Titan Comics free comic with a title written by Colin Bunn with art by Piotr Kowalski. It says, exclusive lead into an epic new series launching May 2022. Enter the city of Yarnem through the eyes of its citizens when the hunters take to the streets and fight against the cruel and unusual epidemic that has gripped the city. In the black of night, families and faith will be tested. And apparently this is based on a Bloodborne video game. Titan Comics actually does a lot of video game comics, so that checks out. From Kodansha Comics, another Japanese, uh, yeah, Japanese company, we have uh, another two-shot called Wan Dance, and the second is called Blackguard. This is Blackguard Sampler. This is a sample of what will be coming out. Uh, the first is by the creator Coffee. I assume that's how it's pronounced. Second is by the creator Ryo Hanada. From Vault Comics, there is a reprint of Barbaric Number One. I don't, I didn't list any of the other reprints on here. I just listed this one because I goddamn love Barbaric. It is such a great series. There's only three issues out. If you could not get issue one, please, please pick up this free comic book day reprint because you will enjoy it. I can guarantee it. And it's by Michael Marici and Nathan Gooden from Vault Comics. Clementine Number One comes from Image. It is apparently the next step in Robert Kurtman's The Walking Dead saga. It is not by The Walking Dead. It is by um, a series of, for some reason, artists. Uh, or, sorry, a series of writers. I believe the main writer on the main story will be Tilly Walden. And the art will be Irma Nivila. Um, and this is going to be... Uh, let's see, the first... It's going to be the complete first chapter of Clementine Book One. Yes, by Tilly Walden. Uh, it doesn't say anything about it, though, so whatever that's going to be. <laughs> Equilibrium comes from Lev Gleason's Comic House. It's by uh, Champagne, Woods, and Morales. It says, One world under claw. The world has survived threats from space and the advent of heroes, but nothing like this. After the claw successfully manipulated some of the most influential people to unwittingly shape the Earth into Claw's vision, who will be left to oppose evil and save the future of humankind? From Udon Entertainment is a Street Fighter comic, Masters Blanca Number 1 by Matt Moylan and Genzomen. It's time to go green with Blanca, the Brazilian berserker Beastman. This electrically charged icon of Street Fighter tears through the jungles of the Amazon in his first solo comic adventure. From Tokyo Pop, we have The Guardian of Fukushima, which is about a devastating tsunami uh, that triggered by an earthquake in Japan and the power plant. Um, and I guess it's just going to be a... It says it's a powerful graphic novel from France intertwines Matsumura's story of human resilience and compassion with the compelling mythology of Japanese folktales. Cult Cable number one is a comic coming from Behemoth by Kevin Roditelli and Clay Adams with art by Victor Santos. For some reason, it has a guest appearance by Jack Black, whatever that necessarily entails. From Gemstone Publishing is the Overstreet Guide to Collecting. This says this phenomenal time for comic book movies and TV shows. The team that brings you the Overstreet Comic Book Price Guide offers a fantastic reintroduction to the true source material for those epics. The world of comic book collecting. Comic book pricing, grading, and the inspiration that comes from comics are all spotlighted in this 48-page special. Winchester Mystery House, 100-Year Curse, is coming from Source Point Press. It is by Joshua Werner and Damian Torres. 
Trece is getting a new series, uh, volume four in 2022. It is coming from Ablaze by the same creators who wrote the original comic, which is a Filipino comic. Thank you very much. Bujet Tan and Kajo Baldissimo. Definitely said that super wrong. Uh, but this is going to be the first, well, the preview of the first issue of volume four, Last Seen After Midnight. And it's going to include bonus material on the comic journal entries for chronicling creature encounters, and much, much more. The last issue for this free comic book day spotlight here is from Valiant. It is the Year of Valiant, um, which is just going to be an exploration of different characters and things at Valiant, such as Bloodshot, Archer and Armstrong, Ninjack, Exo Manowar, Shadow Man, and more. With that, I believe we have come to an end of this episode of Sensational She Geek Live from Yancey Street. It is a bit of a shorter episode, but as I said before, I am quite behind on comics. Uh, so we'll just cover a lot more comics in the next episode. Thank you again for listening to whatever portion of the podcast you are able to. I always appreciate your support, be that financially or just picking up an episode or two now and then and listening to it. Um, if you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to me on my social medias, um, and I would love to have a chat with you. In the meantime, the next episode is going to be next Monday, the 14th. That is Valentine's Day, interestingly enough, um, and my wedding anniversary. <laughs> um, and we will be covering the finale of Book of Boba Fett, the news, whatever that may be, uh, the comic book pick list, the next comic book pull list, and anything else that really strikes our fancy. Also noteworthy, I do have a new comic book special coming out, or special edition podcast coming out next week, and that is going to be a Valentine's Day special going over toxic romance in comics. Isn't that a fun one? <laughs> uh, so whenever we, whenever we see you next, or whenever you hear me next, I hope you have an excellent week. Stay sweaty, and try to be empathetic with those in your life. Good night.